Genesis chapter number 42 tonight. And I want to preach to you for a few moments on one verse found in this chapter, verse number 36, Genesis chapter number 42 and verse number 36. The Word of God says, And Jacob their father said unto them, Me have ye bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, and ye will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. Let's read that once more. And Jacob their father said unto them, Me have ye bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, and Simeon is not. Ye will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time that you've given us. We thank you for your precious word, Lord. We ask that you would bless it to our hearts, that you'd speak to us. Oh, God, we have such need of you tonight. Lord, help us to recognize this need that we have of you. Lord, some of us need you to convict us. Some of us need you to encourage us. Some of us, Lord, we need you to exhort us and to rebuke us. Lord, we know that the Word of God is is fit and is faithful to do all of these things, for it's pure and perfect and preserved. Lord, help us tonight to have our hearts open to the preaching of your Word, to the moving of your Spirit. We thank you for the cross of Calvary, for the precious blood that was shed on our behalf. Lord, we ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'm interested tonight in the phrase found at the end of the verse, where Jacob makes this statement. He says, all these things are against me. Now, we didn't take the time tonight to read the entire chapter, and we won't take the time to do so. But there is a background, there is a context to Jacob's statement. Jacob is an old man. Most of us are well aware of the story of Jacob's life, him and his brother Esau, and the uh, the contest and the tension that took place between them, were aware of how that uh, Jacob was driven out of the presence of Esau and he seemed to have found uh, some sort of a lapse of forgiveness with his brother Esau. Of course, the Word of God does not follow closely the life of Esau because it's not about Esau and it's not about Jacob, but it's about this lineage that leads down to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in Genesis chapter 42, Jacob is an old man. He's had 12 sons. He's had 10 by his wife, Leah, and 2 by his wife, Rachel. And in his old age, uh, Rachel has died. Jacob is left alone. It's basically just him and his sons. And uh, Joseph, most of us know the story of how that Joseph, uh, whom his father loved dearly, his father had made him a coat of many colors. Uh, I mean, if you're, uh, you know, even if you're just spiritual enough, listen to Dolly Parton, you know about that, amen? And uh, had made him the coat of many colors. He was despised of his brethren. They sold him into slavery. The story begins to follow the life of Joseph. And Joseph is sold into slavery. He winds up in a man by the name of Potiphar's house. Uh, there he is exalted through his diligence and faithfulness. And uh, then uh, the false accusations are made against Joseph, and he's cast into prison. There in prison, he has the opportunity, by the Lord's help and by the Lord's hand, to interpret two dreams, and uh, one for a butler, one for a baker. Uh, he's exalted through that action when Pharaoh has a dream that he cannot interpret. Joseph is raised to a place of prominence. Uh, he's raised to a place of responsibility in the kingdom there in Egypt. We could spend hours talking about the prophetic and dispensational implications about all those things. Uh, but there, uh, during this time of famine that takes place in the land of Egypt, uh, which uh, Joseph had interpreted in the dream 
of Pharaoh. Uh, Jacob sends his sons that are left uh, to go into Egypt and to buy corn. And so they go and they find themselves face to face with their brother that they had sold into slavery many, many years before. Now, in the mind of Jacob, Joseph is dead. He does not know that his son Joseph, whom he loved so dearly, is alive. And uh, before his uh, Joseph's brethren realize who Joseph is, Joseph, of course, looks quite a bit different than he did in the bottom of that pit many years prior. Uh, Joseph begins doing some things to try to coerce, if we want to call it that, or to try to uh, force them into a place of contrition and into a place of repentance. Let me just say this, that uh, repentance is something that has to be voluntary. But I'm thankful the Lord knows how to make things hard on me until I'll repent, too. And that's what Joseph sort of does. And Joseph says, I want you to leave Benjamin, the youngest boy, with me. And they say, well, you know, he's not here. He's back with his father. We'll have to go get him. So he says, I'll tell you what. In the meantime, I want you to leave Simeon here with me. And he'll be here and he'll be sort of the, the pledge. He'll sort of be the earnest that you're going to return. I know you're going to come back. Because uh, you surely wouldn't leave one of your brethren behind. And he says that sort of tongue-in-cheek. And so they go back home to their father Jacob. And they relate to him what has taken place. Uh, in Jacob's mind, Joseph is dead. Simeon has been taken captive by who is probably one of the most powerful men in the entire world. And uh, he has no reason to believe would have any affection towards an Israelite in any way, shape, fashion, or form. Now they're saying, we would like to take Benjamin away also. We can't get the grain that we need to survive unless we do. Now, let me just... I I did a lot of explaining there, but can I boil it down to to one simple phrase to reflect the position that Jacob finds himself in? Could I say that Jacob is in between a rock and a hard place? He either starves to death, him and his family, or he trusts this pagan leader with his precious youngest son. And it's within the background of this context that Jacob makes this statement where he says, all these things are against me. And I want to preach to you tonight about this statement and about Jacob and about what Jacob thought was going on and about what was really going on in the life of Jacob. I would venture far tonight, a little ways, to say this. There's probably been a time when you've said something like this, if not these very words. I know there's been times in my life where it just seemed like, uh, I mean, you couldn't win for losing, as some people have said. Or another phrase that most of us are familiar with, when it rains, it pours. Things just went from bad to worse. And it was almost as though the entire world had set their hand against you. This is how Jacob in his old years is beginning to feel. In the midst of this despair, he cries out, and he basically says this, if we could hear it this way, to say that all these things are against me is another way of Jacob almost saying this, I haven't got a friend in the world. Now, you have to remember, Jacob is a man that has had communication with God. Jacob is not a man that is devoid of a relationship with God, Jehovah, the one that had revealed himself to Jacob time and time again. I mean, this is in Jacob's later years. You have to understand, this this is after he pillowed his head on a stone and saw a vision. This is after he had made the trip back to Bethel and had found what it meant not just to appreciate the house of God, as Bethel means, but he called it El Bethel, the, the God of the house of God. 
I mean, Jacob has a long and storied history between him and the Lord. He had wrestled with God in the midst of the darkness. Jacob had literally felt the hand of God upon his life. So, I would just say this. This is not an inexperienced man that we're talking about tonight. Can I say that it's not just babes in Christ that get in the midst of despair in their life. You serve God long enough, you'll probably have some things come along down the line that will make you feel like all the pieces are following, falling apart. So this is not an inexperienced man. Let me say that not only is this not an inexperienced man, but this is not an ignorant man. Jacob understood that sometimes God had to hurt you to get you where you need to be. There in the midst of that darkness at Peniel where he had wrestled with God, God had asked Jacob his name. And by the way, that's significant for two reasons. One, because God already knew his name. But two, because of what Jacob's name meant. Jacob's name means supplanter or deceiver. And what God is trying to get Jacob to do is to confess his true nature. And he says, my name is Jacob. And God reaches out and touches the hollow of his thigh. And the Bible says that the sinew which God touched, the the tendon that God laid his hand against, shrank. And from that day forth, Jacob was lame on that leg. Every time Jacob took a step, he knew that God sometimes has to hurt you to get you where you need to be. Let me say that it is an incontrovertible truth of the Christian experience that God only whips His own children, but He's diligent to do so when we need it. Uh, The Bible says that every son whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. The Bible says that if you're without chastisement, then are you bastards and not sons. If you're a child of God, there's going to be times that the hand of God will be heavy against you. So this is not an ignorant man. But let me say that this is not an inconsiderate man of the will of God. I mean, not only does he understand that God at times will have to lay his hand against you to get you where you need to be, but this is a man that understands that sometimes the will of God is a process, and it takes time for God to get you where you need to be. I mean, this is a man who he had made a pledge to God that if God would bring him back to the land of his fathers, uh, unharmed and safe, that he'd serve him for the rest of his life. I'm saying this is a guy that, that knew what the big picture was all about. This is a guy that had seen God work over the whole spectrum of his life. And he understands that there's times where you won't understand God. He said, Preacher, why do you say all this tonight? Just by way of introduction. The reason I say it, this is a Wednesday night crowd. I mean, everybody in this room has a testimony, and I hope everybody in this room is saved. We, we've got, like, like a lot of churches, and we've got some people. I, I'd say if you, if you knew the demographic of our church, I mean, you, you know, probably under 15 wouldn't be a whole lot of them, you know. I'm saying these are people that have a history with a walk with God. Don't think you can't get to the place that Jacob was at. You say, preacher, but I, I'm not ignorant. I know sometimes God has to deal with you with a heavy hand. No, 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 I know that. Jacob knew that too. But sometimes in the midst of the chastisement, we don't see that it's for our good. I'll say this. I don't remember a single time growing up that Daddy ever gave me a whipping that right in the middle of it I turned around and thanked him for it. The reality is we don't always see that. And let me, you say, well, preacher, I know God has a purpose in my life. Yeah, I know that you understand that. But sometimes in the midst of that trial, you can't see the purpose and you begin to fret and to distrust the Lord. Just by way of introduction, I want to say that we could all find ourselves in Jacob's shoes. 
I'm talking about before tomorrow, before the sun rises in the morning. We could find ourselves standing in a hospital room, standing in an emergency room, with tears flowing down our eyes, with our fists clenched, looking to heaven and saying, all these things are against me. And we need to be prepared when we get that feeling and that notion. We need to know how to deal with it in a way that glorifies the Lord. I want to say three things tonight about Jacob. I want to say that first off, we see a man that is bitter. You see, like I said, there's a context to Jacob's life here. There are some things that have led up to this moment. And and Jacob's statement, I don't think, is just merely about the loss in his mind of his three sons. But he's going back to things that have happened years ago. He's pulling things out of the history of his life. And he's saying all of these things, where I'm at now, what's going on now, it's all led to a moment of despair. And he's bitter about some things. Bitterness is an ugly thing. But bitterness is a common thing. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of us that we may not be bittered up, but that don't mean we're not bitter. You know, there's a difference. There, you know, when we think of bitter, we think only of those people that are so bitter they can't function. And there are people that are that way. They're so bitter that you can see it on their face, man. I mean, they're so bitter they can't even have a normal friendship or, or a normal marriage. They're just so bitter. They're just so angry. And that's who we think of as being bitter. But you know how bitterness starts? The book of Hebrews says, lest any root of bitterness springing up and thereby many be defiled. There's a lot of us. Listen now, we ain't got a bitterness tree growing in our backyard, but there's roots in places. We better be careful that we handle it while it's young. It ain't that big of a deal to get it when it's, when it's a sprout. But you mark, you wait until it gets big. Man, I remember when we, when we bought our house, there's this big ugly tree. And you know how folks, I mean, they, they, you, you go to the, the Home Depot or something and they got a bunch of just plants and they don't even know what they are, you know? And they sell it to you for like, you know, $10 for 75 of them. And that's where, that's where you see people's houses. You, you go and you, you see in their yard. Mom and dad had a few of these. You see in their yard and they got a bush somewhere 45 feet down the driveway and they've got like an oak tree growing right beside their front porch, you know? Well, somebody had planted some kind of thing. My wife probably knows what. I don't know what it is. I got no care. I mean, I, I, I'd soon just not have to mow around it. I mean, I don't care if it looks like a, like a painting of a golden sunset. I, I don't want it there. I don't want to have to mow around it. And so we, we, I had to get this thing out. And, uh, I, I remember I hooked dad's truck up to it. I can tell him this now. Um, <laughs> I hooked dad's truck to it and put it in four wheel drive. And I, and I, I tied his tow rope to this thing. And, and, and I, I, man, I mean, I, I laid the hammer down. I mean, if, if it had been my truck, I wouldn't have treated it that way. And <laughs> I laid the hammer down, man. I mean, you could smell clutch when I got out. Now, he's replaced the clutch since then. I don't know why, but it went bad. But it broke the tow rope. He probably always wondered how that tow rope broke. It broke the tow rope trying to pull this thing out of the ground. It still wouldn't come. I mean, it, it, took, it took days to get that thing out of the ground. You know why it had been let go? I remember when I first moved in, and we were looking at pictures one day, right before we tore that tree out, uh, we were looking at pictures that we took when we first bought the house. And it wasn't very big then. I mean, it was just, you know, maybe about that tall. My wife can remember. It wasn't big. It was about that tall. Man, by the time that we tore it out, I mean, the thing was, you know, bald eagles were nesting in it and stuff. I'm saying you handle it when it's small. 
and it's not that big of a deal. We think of people being bitter, only those that are crippled by bitterness. But there's a lot of folks that have roots of bitterness about issues and things towards their spouse, towards their family, towards their friends. And listen, it ain't a full-blown tree. Right now, it's just a sprout. But just as sure as anything, you leave that sprout alone, it'll grow on its own. Nobody has to come along and water it. Nobody has to come along and prune it. Listen to me now. I don't know why the Holy Ghost has me saying this, but He's got a reason. Nobody has to do anything to it. I mean, it ain't just somebody Somebody has got you bitter towards them. They don't have to call you up on the phone and cuss your mother out for you to get more bitter. That they don't, you don't have to sit and lay in bed at night and toss and turn from one side to the other thinking about how wrong they did you for it to grow. If you just leave it alone, if you don't deal with it, it'll grow. I'm saying we better, turn, we better handle that bitterness while it's small. We see some bitterness in his life. And I think he's bitter over three things. And I don't know, maybe he'll say something different when I get to heaven. But, but I see a man that's probably bitter over his life in general. He's bitter over how things have turned out. Jacob is the young, wide-eyed, bright-eyed man that had set out from his home, that had the blessing, that had the birthright, that had the, 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 the help of God upon his side as he set out. Jacob was a man, he was a schemer and a deceiver. He had always done things by his own strength. But you know folks that do things that way, they always expect the best. They always believe it's going to turn out right. Jacob was the one, as the younger brother, as the ordained one of God, that was going to be the one through whom the Messiah would come from his uh, lineage. I mean, he had grand and great dreams of how his life was going to turn out. He had spent many years wandering, but he had asked God, he said, if you'll bring me back here safe, I'll worship you. And here he is, but now wait a minute. Now all of a sudden, this place that he had longed for for so many years is going through a famine. Now all of a sudden, the crops aren't growing. Now all of a sudden, the, the, the fat, uh, the, the, the cows, they're not getting fatter. This is a man that didn't expect his life to turn out the way that he was planning. Let me tell you something. We, we ought to have high aspirations. I believe that. Well, we better be careful that we don't... And I see this with young people today. I, I, I mean, I see this in the lives of young people. Uh, listen, we want them to be everything in the world but spiritual. We want them to get a good education. I'm not against good education. We want them to get a good job, and I'm not against a good job. We want them to find a good spouse. I mean, hey, I'm not against finding a good spouse. Let me tell you something. They can have all three of those things and still waste their life if they don't have the right goal. The greatest thing our young people can be is spiritual. The greatest thing our older people can be is spiritual. That ought to be the great and grand thing that we aspire to in our lives. Jacob had a lot of aspirations, had a lot of plans, had a lot of expectations, but now life is turning out how he did not expect it to. I think that he's probably bitter over his life, but I believe he's probably bitter over some losses that he had experienced too. You read through your Bible, you'll find, and, and this is common, there, there, there's a dynamic, and I'm not going to get into it tonight, but anytime you see pairs in the Bible, there's always a dynamic there that, that is important to note. And there's pairs of brothers. There's Cain and Abel, there's Ishmael and Isaac, there, there's Jacob and Esau. And the younger is always the spiritual man. He's the second man. And the first, he's always the man that is, that is of the earth. But then there's this dynamic between any time in the Old Testament there was two wives. And there was always, when there was two wives, there was always one that was beloved but barren and one that was despised but was fruitful. 
And it was this very same way in the life of, of Jacob and his wives Rachel and Leah. He had worked for seven years so that he could marry Rachel. And then uh, his uh, father-in-law hoodwinked him. I mean, how else do you say it? Switcheroo. Had the veil over her face. Pushed Leah out there and married him to Leah and kept Rachel. Jacob works another seven years so that he can marry Rachel. He had spent 14 years of his life laboring so that he could marry this woman. And sure enough, of the two of them, the one that dies early is Rachel. He's lost the woman that he loves. He's lost the son that he loved dearly. More than anything else in his life, after Rachel had died, more than anything else in his life, he loved two things. He loved Joseph and he loved Benjamin, for those were the two sons by Rachel. And he loved, loved, loved Joseph. He was beloved above all of his brethren. And now Joseph is gone. He has literally lost everything in his life that means something. Can I say this? There's times we're bitter over the things that we lose. There's times we're bitter over the things that we lose. We're bitter when we lose loved ones. We're bitter when we, when we lose opportunities. We're bitter when we lose sometimes financial security. We're bitter when we lose friends. We're bitter when we lose our social standard. I'm, I'm saying that there are things in our life that we treasure that God has to take from us for one reason or another, known only to heaven, and it can cause us to grow bitter. Usually it's not in the place where something's already growing that a plant begins to grow, but it's, a, it's in a place that's devoid of something growing. Right? Am I right? Usually you're not going to plant two trees in the same hole. Usually it's in a place where there's a barrenness or an emptiness. Sometimes in those places of loss is where our bitterness can grow. But I think he was bitter over a third thing. And I think some folks are really going to understand this. I think he was bitter over his limitations. I think he was bitter over some things that he wished he could do that he couldn't do. As I already said, Jacob is an old man. He's having to stay in Canaan for this simple reason, that he can't make the trip as many times as his son can. By the time that the story ends, Jacob is carried into Egypt and he dies there. It's almost as though the trip was too much for this old man. And don't you know that Jacob probably thought to himself, if I just had my health back, if I was a young man, then I could go and I could take care of this need. Some, some of the young people in this room ain't going to understand this. And I don't know that I understand it by experience. But some of the people that have a year or two on them in this room are going to understand this. Sometimes as people grow old, they ought to grow better, but they grow bitter because of the limitations that they deal with in life. It's a hard thing, man. It's a hard thing. Your eyesight starts to go. Your health starts to go. It's a hard thing. Your mind starts to go. You know that it's going. You can tell that it's going. And there's times when just the general breakdown of our body can cause us to grow bitter. One of the most difficult things, I mean, listen, we can almost deal with trials if there's something we can do about them. But there's nothing more discouraging than for a trial to be taking place and for us to be utterly helpless to do anything about it. That's where Jacob is. Not only is there a famine in his home, not only do they not have enough provisions, not only are they dying... But he can't do a thing about it. And he says, it's just another thing that's against me. I'm helpless. 
What can I do but sit here? Two of my children have been taken away, and a third's about to be taken away, and it won't matter at all because if I don't let them go, they're just going to sit here and starve to death, and I can't do a thing about it. And it's in the midst of that bitterness that this cry sounds forth. I want you to notice that this is a man that is bitter. But I want you to notice tonight that this is a man that's blind to some things. I found something interesting when I was studying this. I like names in the Bible. Names meant something in the Bible. I mean, mo- most of us don't know what our name means. I mean, I-, I do. I've looked it up, but I'm a preacher, and I tell this illustration from time to time. I- my-, my name means that-, that it means Jehovah is good. I mean, not Toby. Toby don't mean nothing. But, but Tobijah, which is what my name comes from, me- means Jehovah is good. And, and there was a time, my brother's name is Tyler, and you know what it means? It means tile maker. That tells you something about how my parents felt about the two of them. When I was born, man, they was just overwhelmed. Overwhelmed with the goodness of God. When Tyler was born, they said, Shh, we got to pay off these doctor bills. We need to redo that bathroom back there. But... Names meant something in the Bible, you know. And it's interesting, these three sons, Jacob had 12 sons, all of their names mean something and mean something significant. But the three that are mentioned here, I think are indicative of some things that Jacob thought was missing from his life. I want you to notice, and we'll just take them in order. I want you to notice first off what he says. He says, Joseph is not. You know that the name Joseph literally means increase or addition. Part of the reason that he was named this is because Joseph was the first son of Rachel and she had prayed and prayed and prayed that God would bless her and give her an increase so that she could be loved by her husband. She had an insecurity over the fact that she hadn't borne any children. And she said, I'll I'll read it to you in uh, Genesis 30 and verse number 24. Uh, It says, and she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. She saw this as the opening of a door. She saw this as the increasing of God and the blessing of God. And you know, by the way, you might say, well, that's just a name. That doesn't mean anything. Remember, they named them these things for a reason. She named him Joseph because she said, the Lord's going to give me another son. God is providing for me. And don't think that was lost on Joseph. You see, I think when he thought about Joseph missing, when he thought about that precious boy that he loved so dearly, that he had preferred above his brother. Oh man, there's a preaching point, and I may get to it here in a second. He had preferred it above all the other brethren, and he had been robbed away. In Joseph's mind, after they had took that coat of many colors off of Joseph and cast him into the pit, they took it, and they didn't know what they were going to say to Jacob. So they slew an animal, and they ripped the coat into pieces, and they took and and dipped that coat in that animal blood, and they went back to Jacob and they said, Jacob, your blessed son Joseph, the one you love so much, he's been torn apart by wild beasts. So in Jacob's mind, it's not been an action or a sin or a crime from his sons, but it's been something that God has done. And he says that Joseph has been robbed from me. I think in Jacob's mind, he identified Joseph with the provision of God and the blessing of God. And I think in a lot of ways what he's saying when he says Joseph is not, is he's saying from that day forth the blessing of God has departed from me. Joseph is not. Joseph has been taken away. You remember I said he preferred Joseph above all the other brethren. Let me tell you something. It's a great day in our life like Abraham. You know what Abraham said? He said the Lord is my reward. It's a great day when we learn to love the giver more than the gift. 
And, and it's a sad day when the substance of our love for the Lord is in the fact that He gives us things. You see, Jacob preferred Joseph above all the other brethren. I understand we're dealing with some typology here, but this is a valid scriptural point here. He, he, believed, he valued the provision and the blessing of God above and beyond everything else. Let me tell you something. Every one of us loves to be blessed by God. Every one of us. But understand that God is more than just the blessings He gives. The, the, the greatest blessing is who He is, not what He does for us. Jacob says, it's been robbed from me, it's been taken from me. His first complaint was the provision of God or the blessing of God has been robbed from my life. God's not blessing me. God's not making a way for me. Remember, this, this old man is a far cry from the younger man that had wrestled with God at, at Penuel. This young man is a far cry from the one that had come home and had settled back there at Bethel and was so conscious and so aware of God's goodness. Now in his old age, he said, it seems like God has just forgotten me and has quit blessing me. I think that he was blind to the provision of God. But I want you to notice the second thing. Notice the next son that he mentions. He says, Joseph is not, and Simeon is not. Simeon, to give you the backstory story uh, behind uh, Simeon, Simeon was a, a child uh, from Leah. And listen to what it says in uh, verse number 33 of Genesis 29. It says, and she conceived again. This is Leah. She's born many children to Joseph. She's conceived again and bare a son and said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Simeon literally means a hearing or a hearkening. And so Simeon's name is forever tied with the idea that God hears us. What Leah is saying, because she is the less beloved of the two wives, she's saying, God has blessed me with another child so that Jacob will love me more. God has heard me because I've been hated. God is aware. God sees what I'm going through. And so she said, Simeon is a reminder to me of the perceptiveness of God. That God's aware of what I'm going through. No doubt in Jacob's mind, he was aware of that. And I'm sure that Simeon was always a reminder to him that God hears those that are afflicted. God hears those that are despised and those that are hated. And I think it's a reminder in his mind. He's blind to the perceptiveness of God. Now, sometimes we get feeling like God doesn't hear our prayers. Sometimes, let me say it again. I mean, I, I know it's Wednesday night. I don't expect nobody to do a backflip. I'm not, I'm not baiting and fishing for amens. I just want to make sure you got that. Sometimes we get to feeling like God doesn't even hear our prayers. Now stop and think about that statement. I mean, this is the God that hears all things. This is the God that knows everything. This is a God that is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. This is a God that, it, that, that everything, everywhere, at every moment is in the immediate presence of God. He's the God that inhabiteth eternity. His eyes run to and fro through the earth, beholding the righteous and the unrighteous. And sometimes we get to feel like He has quit listening to us. Sometimes we get the feeling like God just doesn't care a thing about us anymore. Hey, listen, if I'm not preaching to you tonight, you just, you just amen me on and pray for those I am preaching to. Because I promise you, there's somebody here tonight that I'm preaching to. I don't know who it is. There's somebody here tonight that in their heart of hearts, they've said this lately. They, they've felt this lately. I'm just telling you tonight, you may feel like God doesn't hear you, but that's a lie straight out of hell. God hears you. You may think God's perceptiveness has left you, but I promise you, it is not. And then he mentions a third. I want you to notice it. Joseph is not, he says. 
and Simeon is not. And then he says, and ye will take Benjamin away. Benjamin has a very interesting story behind his life. Benjamin is the youngest son of Rachel and the youngest of all the twelve. And it was in Benjamin's birth that Rachel died. So there's a bittersweet tone and timber to the story of the life of Benjamin. Let me read it to you. In Genesis 35 and verse 18, it says, And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, speaking of Rachel, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Onai. That was supposed to be the name Benjamin. That was supposed to be his name, Ben-Onai. You know what it means? It means, son of my sorrow. She saw Benjamin as the undoing of her life. She said, I've only been able to have two sons, and the second one is taking my life. Listen to what happens. But his father, Rachel sees it one way, but listen to what it says. But his father called him Benjamin. Benjamin literally means son of my right hand or son of power. In Rachel's mind, she sees Benjamin as a curse as the one that is taking her life, as the son of her sorrow. But when Jacob looks at that little baby boy, he says, no, I see in him a reminder of the promises of God for my life. What may look to you like despair looks to me like a promise. And he sees in Benjamin the hopes and dreams of his entire life. In Benjamin are vested the hope and the promise that he would have power and strength and would have a blessed life. Let me say that a lot of times, first, you know, we get the idea that God's blessing has been took away. Then we get the idea that God doesn't even hear us. But that which is most valuable, that which is most precious to us, that which ought to be the highest currency in which the Christian ever deals, the promises of God, we sometimes feel are being taken from us. That's the end of it, by the way. You know, that's where bitterness leads you to. Bitterness leads you to a place because the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. Bitterness leads you to believe that God's promises are not true. Bitterness gives you the feeling of a slighted hand. Bitterness gives you the feeling of a ruined life. Bitterness would cause you to look at the face of this precious baby boy and say, he's the son of my sorrow. But only the promises of God can give you strength to meet each day ahead of you. He says the promises of God even aren't true to me anymore. And by the way, there, there had already been a promise that was given. God had already made the promise uh, to, to Abraham that, the, that his nation, that his, his, his lineage would go into darkness for 450. He had already made that promise This was all working according to the promises of God. But in the midst of his bitterness, he couldn't even see that this was the promises of God unfolding before him. I want you to see that this was a man that was bitter and this was a man that was blind. But let me just give you a few things tonight. I I think that this is a man that is blessed. And let me say that a lot of times our perception and the reality of our condition are two vastly different things. A lot of times what our flesh and heart tells us is vastly different from what's really going on in our lives. And the times when I have claimed to be in the most despair, if I could have seen it the way God sees it, I would have seen something quite different. I want you to notice three things that are present in his life that he doesn't recognize. Maybe you're here tonight and you feel this way. Can I point three things out in your life 
that I think ought to give you encouragement. I want you to notice, first of all, that we see the grace of God in Jacob's life. You say, well, preacher, grace is a New Testament principle. No, the Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace just simply means God giving us things we don't deserve. It means the favor of God, which we've not earned. And I think if Jacob could have been in his right mind, had been in, if we call it this way, had been in a good headspace. I mean, I think if Jacob had been where he ought to be, I think if nothing else, he should have seen that he wouldn't have been where he was at that moment, except God had preserved him. You just about won't find an Old Testament character that is cast in a positive light with more mistakes than you will the life of Jacob. In fact, it seems to be more difficult to find the right things that Jacob did in his life than it is to find the wrong things. Every story in the life of Jacob in the book of Genesis, it seems as though he's making a misstep and and he's causing a problem and he's doing the wrong thing. And now as he comes to the end of his life, he has, and forgive me for saying it this way, but he has the gall to say all these things are against me. Let me just pause and say this. Even if all those things were against him, It'd be nothing but what Jacob deserved. Listen, I'm not trying to beat you over the head tonight. I'm just saying, no matter what you're going through, it's better than what you deserve. It's better than what you deserve. So, oh, preacher, but I feel like God has quit hearing me. Hey, he didn't have to hear you the first time. So, oh, preacher, I just feel like God has quit blessing me. Well, he didn't have to bless you the first time. And you ought to recognize the grace and the goodness of God in your life. I mean, if we really had what we deserved, isn't it funny? Everybody talks about it all the time. Why just, it's just not fair. Man, you better thank God that, that God's not fair. It, God is just. He's not fair. There's a difference. I, I'm thankful that God's just, but I'm thankful He's not fair. Because if He was fair, He would have given me what I deserve. You see, God can be just and not give me what I deserve because I can be justified through Jesus Christ so that God can be both just and the justifier of them which believe on Him. That's what the book of Romans chapter 3 says. So He can be just and the justifier. But if God was fair, if He gave each and every person what they deserve, listen to me tonight, you'd be in hell, I'd be in hell. Our life would be a wreck. We see the grace of God, but I want you to notice, secondly, we see not only the grace of God, but I want you to notice the guarding of God. Isn't it funny how he says this? And you can imagine, I mean, you know, we we read the story, we read the end of it. But imagine if you're standing there with Jacob, and Jacob says, Joseph is dead, Simeon is dead, and you're getting ready to take Benjamin away. But little did he know that all three of those things were untrue. Joseph wasn't dead. Simeon wasn't dead. Old Benjamin was about to be taken away, but he didn't die. God was guarding him from things in his life that he just knew to be a reality. Let me tell you, worry is an awful thing. Worry robs today of its pleasure and of its comfort and of its faith over things that may never happen tomorrow. And I I promise you, listen, most of the worrying we do, we do about things, not things that have happened, not things that are happening, but most of the worrying we do, we worry over things that have yet to happen. And in Jacob's mind, he says, oh, it's terrible, it's awful. I've lost Joseph, now I'm going to lose Benjamin. The only two reminders I have of the love of my life. And Simeon, he also, he's dead. My life is a wreck. 
Little did he know that none of that was true. God was guarding him. God was watching over him. Can I just encourage you tonight by saying this? There's nothing can touch your life but what God has approved that it's for your best. You ever stop and think about that? I mean, listen, you don't make a trip to the hospital except God says, yep, they need that in their life. You don't, you don't run into a financial hardship except what God has signed off on it and said, you need this in your life. Yeah, it may be because of our rebellion. But if God didn't allow those things in our life to chastise us, our rebellion would be far worse. What I'm saying is everything in your life has purpose. God's guarding you against some things that were it not for Him, your life would be a wreck. So we see the grace of God and we see the guarding of God. Let me say finally that we see the guiding of God. Joseph was blind all three of these things. He couldn't see how good God had been. He couldn't see that God was watching out for him. He also couldn't see, even though he should have been able to see, that there was a providential plan in all this. He had already known, and, and we're not going to read it tonight, but, but you can go back in Scripture and see where God had already prophesied uh, to Abraham that the nation of Israel would be led into darkness, into Egypt, and there they would be multiplied, there they would grow. In fact, Egypt was their place of greatest blessing and increase until they reached Canaan. Now, don't try to carry the typology. I'm aware that Egypt's a picture of the world. I'm aware. But for the nation of Israel... It was that trial that caused their grandest increase. They went from being 70 souls when they went in there as the family of Jacob to to some estimates are are over 2 million when they were led out through Moses. I'm saying that the hand of God was on what was taking place in his life. He couldn't see that God was guiding him, and it wasn't pleasant. He didn't like it. He didn't want it. But Scripture had already said that this must take place. By the way, whenever he gets there, he finds out why that mean old fellow that they've been worried about. It's just my old. It's just my boy Joseph. It's just my son Joseph. He gets there. He says, "I, I, I, I swore that he was dead. In fact, I've been grieving and mourning for him for years now. Here he is alive." Let me just close by saying this, man. It's high time we learn to trust God. Sometimes it's amazing the things that God does. The things that we think are going to be the greatest trials in our life sometimes are the springboards to to the greatest blessings that God does in our life. Things that we think are going to be our undoing, and they are our exalting because of the hand of God. I, I, I just want to encourage you by saying this tonight. You may feel that way. You may say, man, all these things are against me. Oh, you wouldn't say it. You wouldn't want to be that dramatic. But in your heart of hearts, you've thought it. Let me say that there's a bit of blindness to your statement. I don't say that in an unkind way. But don't think for one moment that God has left you. Don't think that you're, <laughs> don't think that you're special. He's never left nor forsake any of His. He ain't going to start with you. You're just like all the rest of them. He's been with them every mile away. He'll be with you every mile of the way. And take encouragement tonight in thinking that whereas you may be expecting just heartache and trial. Just tragedy and death and despair. You may find that behind that door stands the one that you thought you'd lost for all them years. Behind that door stands that which you thought there was no other chance for you to have again. I'm saying that the blessing of God might be in the midst of that trial. Hold on a little longer. Trust God a little, a little harder. Serve God a little bit more. You may find that though you think all of these things are against you, 
The Bible says that all things work together for good. God's doing something in your life. That's what I'm saying. Give Him time to do it. Trust Him while He's doing it. And serve Him in the midst.